The reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. For more information In the time of Herod, church, king of Judea, there was a priest His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable, unable to speak. When this time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days you show me his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Thanks, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, for those who don't know me, if you've never met me before, if you're a visitor, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm the one Pete was raving about a second ago for some reason. Uh, yeah, I am one of the youth pastors here at Cary. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here with you this morning. If you're going, hey, I come to Cary normally and I never see this guy. Why is that? Uh, I actually attend the Forestdale campus, and the reason for that is my wife is the chaplain at Forestdale, uh, so she's a, a vital, pivotal conduit bridge between the school and church in that, in that uh, campus over there. So I attend Forestdale with her, hence why I can't be here on a Sunday morning as a youth pastor, why we're getting a point through youth pastor to come and fill that gap. So that gives you a little bit of context and insight to why we're doing that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic to be here. I have not been on this stage since about October last year, so... Uh, I'm a bit rusty, so I apologize for that straight up if I uh, start going all over the place. But for those who are familiar with me and, and maybe uh, have uh, been traveling with me over the years I've been here at Cary, I 
was starting to prepare this sermon, and I'm like, okay, Zachariah, Zachariah. Did you know there's 28 Zacharias in the Bible? All Pete gave me was preach on Zachariah. I'm like, thanks, Pete. So I'm looking for Zachariah. I'm like, do I go through the book, the prophet Zachariah? Do I go to one of the kings? And then I suddenly thought to myself, you know what? They say when you're going to preach, preach where you're at and the stuff that you relate to the most. And I started looking at this guy, Zachariah, in Luke chapter 1. And, uh, you know, the things that resonated with me out of this were two things. Firstly, uh, if you aren't aware, Shelby and I announced recently that we are expecting our first child. Thank you. And so with, with that in mind, uh, as I'm reading Zachariah's story and he and Elizabeth becoming pregnant, I'm sitting there going, all the same things that I'm imagining, I'm imagining they're going through as well. Like, what is this child going to be like? I found out this week it's going to be a boy, which is pretty exciting. So they're thinking, this boy, what's he going to grow up to be? And, and I'm just imagining, how would that go for them? But if you listen to that passage carefully, Zechariah got to the point where he was actually silenced by God, so he couldn't speak. I don't know if I could go through this pregnancy with Shelby not being able to speak. She'd be saying, Ben, what color should we paint the room? I don't know. Uh, blue, by the way. Um, but so I'm trying to think, how would I be in Zechariah's shoes there if I couldn't speak during the pregnancy? The other thing I resonated with is Zechariah, he's a priest. He's a pretty old guy now. He's been a priest for a long time. And so he'd probably have a lot of knowledge about God. A lot of things have probably settled for him over the years. He's probably had a, a faith that's grown and matured over a long time. But when you've been a Christian for a long time, we can fall into the trap of being a bit complacent, can't we? And so Zechariah, he's there, an angel appears before him, and the angel says, you're going to have this kid. And Zechariah's not remembering all the stuff that's gone on before, and Zechariah's like, as if. And I think to myself, if I'm trying to picture myself in this situation, how would I respond? Would I respond like Zechariah and question everything, or would I fully embrace this with a faith uh, that, that just believes God could do absolutely anything? Makes me wonder. I wonder, do you ever put yourself into the story as well? Do you put yourself in the story of the people who got it right or the people that messed up? I always put myself in the picture of someone who got it right. Yeah, I'll do that better next time. Uh, you know, I'd be good at that. But then if I start to put myself in the position of someone who messed up, I'm like, actually, would I actually be like the person who messed up that Jesus rebukes or a disciple rebukes or someone like that? It's an interesting thought concept as I go. But if you have your Bible with you, I just want to explore this passage we just read in Luke 1. And uh, we found when we first opened this, we are introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Zechariah, as I said, is a priest, uh, one of probably about 18,000 priests at the time. It says he's in the division of Abijah because uh, they were divided into about 24 different uh, divisions. And so they would serve twice a year for a one-week period, go in, do their priestly duty, and then go home. And so they've been doing this twice a year, and, and uh, he's been doing this for a while. Elizabeth, on the other hand, uh, she was his wife, and, and it says here they're both considered righteous people. Now, does that mean they're perfect? I don't think they're perfect. I think they were righteous because they were, to the point of a human can, they were following all God's commands well. And they were seen amongst all the people as good, upright people. And so they were considered righteous in that, in that way. But they're old and they've never had kids. They've never been able to conceive. It's an interesting place for them to sit because back in those days, you know, it's a, it's a big thing to have kids, to have an heir, someone who can carry on your family name, someone who can build out your, your family and help around with the household chores and all those sorts of things. And for some, t some people, they actually believed if you didn't have kids, what's wrong with you? Uh, was there a sin that happened? Was there something that's going on to, to prevent you from having kids? They don't know. Uh, so that belief was prevalent back then. And so we're, we're faced with this good Jewish couple who have kept all the laws, considered good people, but for whatever reason, have not been able to have kids. And they're old. I keep saying they're old because the Bible says they're old. And that kind of gives us a, a picture into where they're at. Because as we know, as you get older, you can't actually have kids anymore. So they're probably in this stage where they're like, we've given up. We're never going to have kids. 
Back to Zechariah, when you get into verse 8, he's out there doing his priestly thing at the temple, and he's chosen to perform one of the most coveted and most honorable tasks a priest can do. And when there's 18,000 different priests, when you get the chance to do this task, it's probably the only time in your lifetime you're going to get a chance to do it. And this task was for uh, Zechariah to go into the temple, into the holy place, light incense and offer an intercessory prayer to God on behalf of all the people. And after he'd done that, he would come back outside and he would pray a blessing over all the people. And it was a significant thing that happened quite regularly in the, in the Jewish custom, uh, but you could only do it once. And it was a very high honor. But you had to do it really particularly. Uh, but we'll get into that later. He's in the temple. He's lighting his incense. And then in verse 11, ooh, am I in verse 11? Yes, verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. You're trying to do this perfect task, this honorable task, this task you've been waiting for to do forever. Probably a little bit nervous. You're lighting the incense and boom, a guy appears. What the heck? I'd be freaking out too. Uh, so when the Bible says he was startled, yeah, probably. Probably if a guy just appears. And then when you realize it's an angel, someone who has been sent by God, you're going to be even more gripped with fear. I, I really, really can picture what Zachariah is going through here, but I probably can't actually experience it right now. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I can imagine it, but imagine how difficult it would have been for him. Why is this angel here? The angel says, don't be afraid. Isn't it funny, whenever an angel appears in the Bible, they always say, don't be afraid. But don't be afraid. I wonder if that tells us something about God's presence. Whenever his presence is near or his angels are near, that people are terrified of it. Just an interesting thought to consider how powerful God is. Do not be afraid. And the great news that the angel brings to Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. And from the context of what happens next, we can probably assume that Zechariah has been praying for two things a lot over his life. As a good priest, he would have been praying for uh, the Messiah to come. The, the Jews had always been hoping for this long Messiah to come, ever since it was promised to them long, long ago. The other thing he was probably praying for over his life, as we can guess, was for a child. And we can guess from that context, he'd been praying for these two things because the angel says, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a baby. And this baby is going to grow up and be foretell and, and prepare the way for the Messiah to come. That is pretty incredible news. If you've been waiting your whole life to have not only a baby, but to see the Messiah come, to hear that your baby is going to be the one that prepares everyone ready for the Messiah to come, man, that's a great time to live, right? Great, 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 great time to live. And so he's been praying his whole life this incredible things come but Zechariah's response is where I want us to sit and focus for today in verse 18 Zechariah says to the angel how can I be sure of this happening I am an old man and my wife is well along in years or maybe in other words he's saying how on earth could this happen how could this be true it's kind of impossible where you know past that age where this can happen I think you got this wrong Mr. Angel and this reaction has some very valid roots it makes sense they're old it can't happen um, they're clearly past that age. They've been praying for a child their whole life. They've never had kids. So they've probably come to the conclusion that either there's something physically wrong with them that they can't have kids or maybe God didn't actually want them to have kids. So they've probably come to this conclusion in their minds. And so when the angel says, your prayers are asked, you're going to have a baby, his mindset is actually in this position of, it's not ever going to happen. You're wrong. Never going to happen. And that mindset rules his thinking. So instead of receiving this promise in the way that we would love him to, of going, that's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Hallelujah. I'm going to have a baby. He instead goes, get off. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think it's a very valid reaction. Like if I was in that position, I'd be like, yeah, 
What, what are you thinking? But this was a promise from God. And we might look at Zechariah and think, dude, you're a priest. Uh, you should know the scriptures inside out. There are many times in the Old Testament where God has given a baby to old people. Abraham and Sarah, probably the most famous. They were really old, almost their 90s, I think. And they were given the son Isaac. Um, Hannah, she was the mother of Samuel. She prayed for many, many years to have a child and eventually got Samuel. Um, Zora and his barren wife eventually gave birth to Samson. Surely Zechariah as a priest would be very familiar with these kind of events. And it would set a precedent in his mind. If God says me, an old person is going to have a baby, surely that would work. But the, the, the neurons don't fire. It doesn't actually quite connect for him. And we can make all these assumptions about him, but we know he's still a human. He's still bitterly disappointed about not having children. And so his response is one of, I don't believe you. Perhaps his unbelief was present because he had settled for something less in his faith than what God was capable of. Through all his disappointment of never being granted a child, he's actually settled and gone, okay, that's never going to happen for me. And he's actually decided God's never going to do this for me. Very valid when we think of the facts, but his faith didn't actually have the capability to believe what he was told. At least the angel wasn't asking him to believe a virgin birth yet. Can you imagine if he was being told that one? Oh, wait, that happened next, didn't it? And if you're wondering, how come Mary didn't Mary question the angel too? She didn't get punished. Uh, when, when I was reading it and trying to work this out and, and trying to connect some commentaries together, uh, they were pointing out to me uh, where Zachariah said, how on earth can this be possible? Mary instead was kind of going, how will this happen? Like, I, okay, I get it, this is going to happen, but you know, the mechanics kind of need to be there. I'm a virgin. Stuff needs to happen for a baby to happen. How will this happen? So I think the difference that we're pointing out here is that Mary's response will be that she understands it will happen. Zachariah's is, it's not going to happen. And I think that's the difference between the two. And so the angel admonishes Zachariah. He actually gets up on his high horse. He goes, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I'm one of God's direct messengers. I stand in God's presence. God says stuff and tells me to go out and say it. If you're going to sit here and not believe me, you're not believing God. Listen up, dude. I am Gabriel. Listen to me. I'm pretty big here. Or maybe he's just saying, by the way, my name's Gabriel. Who knows? But Gabriel says something really interesting here. He says, what God has said is going to happen. Let me get it straight out of the Bible instead of my translation over there. Uh, Because you have uh, not believed my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I love this part. His words are true. And they're going to come at the appointed time. It's not when Zachariah is ready for it. It's not when uh, we think it's going to happen. It's when God's appointed time is going to happen. Zachariah needs to learn to trust God in this. So Zachariah sits there and he goes, it's not going to happen. The angel admonishes him and the angel says, you know what? You're going to not be able to speak between now and when the baby comes. And his mouth was closed and he could no longer speak. I wonder why that was. Why, why did God do it? Maybe God was saying, you know what, just be quiet for a bit and watch what I'm going to do through you. Maybe he was saying, you know what, just be silent for a bit and reflect on who I am. Maybe you've forgotten all the amazing things that I'm able to do. Just stop and watch for a while. And in the aftermath, he goes outside. The people are all there. They've been waiting a long time. Zachariah's taken longer than he should have. He should have just gone in, lit the fire, uh, done a prayer and come back out. But he's taking ages. And they're getting worried because this task that Zechariah has gone in to do is a very particular task. There are history events in the Old Testament of when kings and other priests have tried to do this task uh, for their own benefit and gain or to try and make themselves look powerful or in some sort of unworthy manner. And they've either fallen sick with leprosy or dropped dead. 
And so these people are going, Zachariah's taking ages. Has he died? Are they getting ready to go and find a dead body? So you can just imagine the relief on their faces when he comes out finally. And he comes out and they're like, yes, all right, let's get ready for the, the blessing. We're, we're here to receive the blessing from the priest. And he comes out and he goes, and they're like, what? Are we playing charades now? Uh, what's going on? And they're like, just speak to us. And he's like, no, no. And eventually they're trying to put two and two together and they work out, Zachariah has been silenced by God. Something huge has happened in there. I can imagine the people being both confused and just going, something incredible has happened. I wonder what God is up to. Well, how did they would have responded? I don't know. Zachariah comes out. He eventually goes home. My bad. Goes home. Uh, his wife becomes pregnant and uh, goes on that he becomes John the Baptist when he grows up and we know the rest of the story from there. And so, interestingly, when Zachariah finally gets to name the baby John, God releases his voice. And Zachariah's first reaction is not to go, oh, I can speak, it's to go, yes, let's praise Jesus. Because Jesus, I mean, you wouldn't have known Jesus yet, praise God. <laughs> because God has done this amazing thing for me. He's shown me grace, he's now released my tongue, and he sings a massive song, and it's in the Bible at the back end of Luke 1, if you want to read it. So what do we see here? We see here some stuff that I think is kind of interesting for us as we consider what are we looking at in our lives in terms of disappointments or, or times that God doesn't do what we want Him to do for us. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth, they've been disappointed their whole life they never had kids. Uh, it kind of makes it kind of clear here in Luke 1. And, and it cuts them deep. Elizabeth says, when, when she's actually praising God, she says, you've overcome my disgrace. It's, she called it her disgrace. You can imagine how deeply that has hurt Elizabeth over the years. And someone who has probably wanted kids her whole life and never happened, it's cut her deep. And the story shows us that, that righteous people, good people, still get disappointments in their lives. Just being a Christian doesn't mean that we're going to have smooth sailing stuff happening for us. But in that disappointment, I think what we can learn from Zachariah and Elizabeth is to not let our bitterness make our faith small. Don't let our bitterness make our faith small. Don't let ourselves settle for something less than what God has for us. So if we look at Zechariah, he, he doubts the angel's message. Like, although he's accepted his disappointment, he's probably fine with it. Um, it's also caused him to doubt God's ability to do the miraculous in his life. And in his disappointment at not being able to have children, maybe he's settled for a faith that says, God doesn't want me to have kids. I'm unable to have kids. God will never give me kids. And what do I mean by settled? I mean, like, even if he knew that God was able to miraculously intervene, even if he remembered those stories of Abraham having a kid in his old age, uh, his first reaction turns out to be not one of, wow, God's going to do that for me too. That's awesome. His reaction is, as if God would do that for me. And it meant that when God chose to finally give him a child, he didn't believe it to be true. And if we look at Elizabeth, we're, we're not told how she responded to the idea of falling pregnant, but uh, we are seeing in her someone who uh, has been rejoicing God at the result of what's happened here. Someone who has not let her bitterness totally take over, but still has served God faithfully and still chased after Him. Her response suggests she's not become bitter towards God in her disappointment, uh, nor does she seem like she's taken a victim mentality of, woe is me, I've never been able to have kids. She's someone who's still faithfully chased after God. And so when this happened, she was like, in these days, the Lord has shown His favor to me and taken away my disgrace among the people. She recognized what God has done. And neither of these two people did anything particularly wrong. But I think God was going to use this opportunity to grow and reignite the settled faith of this old priest. He had his disappointments in life. 
But God was giving him the chance to grow his faith, and the same is for us. Because in every disappointment that we face, like kicking your water bottle, in every disappointment that we face, we have the opportunity to either settle in our faith and let it go small, or to grow our faith and press back into God. And so I wonder, what are some of the things that cause us to settle in faith? What are some of the things that, uh, when, when stuff rises up against us or stuff that goes on, causes us to just settle for something less than who God actually is? Because we know, I mean, like we know in our heads, God is infinite, God is all-powerful, God is all-loving, God is all these things. But when the rubber hits the road, what do we actually press into? And one of the things that I think causes me to settle is complacency or putting the cruise control mode on. Uh, you know that like when you're in your car, you're driving, you press cruise control and the car just stays at a steady, steady speed, everything's great. I think we can do something similar in our faith, except your faith, I don't think, stays at a steady speed when you do that. Because if we start going, you know what, I'm happy with where I'm at spiritually. I, I've, you know, I've got two degrees in theology now. Uh, I know a lot. I don't need to sit down and just pursue this. You know, I know it. I know it all. At least I know enough. If I'm no longer pursuing God as I did in the early days of faith and, and pursuing all that stuff as I did when I was learning incredibly huge amounts about God, my faith is going to stagnate and I'm going to just stop and I'm never going to be learning more and more about Him and, and learning more things that God has for my life and learning who, more about who God is. And I think in that cruise control mentality, our soul is going to start to just like go, I'm not getting the God stuff that I need. You're not, you're not going to be growing. In fact, you're going to go backwards because you're just stagnating. And this is where I think Zechariah was in danger. And this experience probably changed that for him. We see that when he starts praising God at the end. So don't try and put yourself in cruise control mode. Another thing that causes us to settle is our own disappointments because they can lead us to shrink back like Zechariah did. It leads us to develop doubts that we need to address with God. Stuff that we're doubting like, I've been asking God for this for years. It didn't happen. Maybe God can't actually do that. Maybe the, the pastor's lied to me. Or maybe we have unmet expectations. Uh, this one I've hit a few times. Uh, God, when God's timing doesn't align with our timing, you know, it'd be lovely to, to sit down with God, take him into our office and say, God, this is what I want to see in my life. I want to see, uh, I want to get married by 20. I want to have kids by 22. I want an awesome job, big house, all this sort of stuff. And then when you turn out that you don't get married till you're 30, hello, and uh, your kids don't happen until you're 33, then this whole plan didn't quite work. God's timing actually didn't line up with where I expected things to happen in my life. And Zechariah prayed his whole life for a child and for the Messiah to come. And in God's timing, not Zechariah's, in God's timing, he managed to answer both prayers. He sent Zechariah a son who would be the prophet that proclaimed the arrival of the Messiah. You see, when we put our expectations on God, and God doesn't meet our expectations, we're going to end up creating a false expectation, I mean a false idea of who God is. Because if we try to put our ideas of what God should do onto him, God, you're not God. God's in charge, not you. God has his own plan and his own design and his own time. When we try to put our, our framework onto God, it's never going to work. And so when God's doing his thing in his time and it doesn't meet with us, something's going to clash there. Something's not going to be right. And so we start to go, okay, maybe if I expected God to do this and he doesn't do this, maybe God doesn't do that at all. And we end up settling there. We're going to end up settling if we don't check that in ourselves. We need to learn to trust God in that. And because if we start putting expectations of God saying, oh, I've come to God, uh, he's going to clean up everything in my life, everything's going to be hunky-dory from this moment on, amazing. And if that doesn't happen straight away, there's two reactions that I spot in, in our young people if that doesn't happen for them straight away. One of them goes, oh, God didn't do the stuff I wanted him to do for me. Uh, so either he's not real or he doesn't actually really want good stuff for me because he didn't do what I wanted. 
and then they walk away. Or maybe they stick with God, but they rewrite the script for themselves and they, and they say, you know, I, I'm aware of what the pastor says he's willing to do or what God is able to do, but for me, it's just not going to happen. And so we settle into this idea of painting a picture of a much smaller God than what God really is. And we're not actually experiencing all that God could be for us. We need to embrace who God really is. We need to break out of those small boxes and, and replace those false ideas of God with the God we find in the Bible. Another thing that might cause us to settle is uh, settling in ourselves. Talked about settling about God. Maybe we settle in ourselves. Maybe you are called to do something greater by God, but you're holding yourself back out of, out of doubts you could do it or, or fears. That's something you need to work, with, work through with God. Or maybe you're justifying your own sin. And, and that's holding you back. Like, what kind of addictions are you sticking with, even though you know they're wrong? Uh, we can pursue different relationships and different actions in our lives that we know we shouldn't go anywhere near. But when we think about it, we just start explaining it to ourselves and justifying, go, oh, but you know, it's all right. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a victim here. I need something to go my way. It's only a little bit of sin. It's only fine. I mean, I've already messed up my life. Uh, I kind of deserve something good here. And we can start justifying things to ourselves that we know we shouldn't get into. And we justify turning ourselves away from God. That's going to hold us back. That's going to settle our faith into something that we shouldn't be actually facing in ourselves. God calls us to actually put away all sin and not embrace it. That's something I think everyone needs to deal with at some point. So if those things are going to cause us to settle, what would make us grow instead? those things settle us, what is going to grow? I'm sure you can work it out, the opposite of everything I just said. Uh, Learning to trust God and trust in His timing. Um, Learning to wait. Sometimes God says, yeah, I'm going to do that for you, but you've got to wait. And you've got to wait. And you've got to wait. I've heard plenty of stories of people in this church who prayed for children and thought it was never going to happen. And then it came to be way later than they expected. And it's just been an amazing blessing for them. Sometimes God's plans and ways of doing things, we need to learn to trust those as well instead of our own ways. We need to learn to submit because uh, God's ways are better than ours. Sometimes we have to submit our dreams to God. Not to say our dreams are not worthy or not valid, but if they're not lining up with God's will and what God says is going to happen, maybe we need to submit those to God and ask Him to modify those for us. And as we learn to trust God, we need to find that our, our human expectations are being exchanged for God's will. So that we're putting aside the things that we think God should do and actually taking on board you know, what God says in here He's going to do, what He says is going to happen in your life, what He says He wants you to do. Other thing that I think is going to help us grow is actually pursuing after God. Not being stagnant, not just sitting in cruise control, not sitting back and going, you know what, I've been a Christian for 20 years, or I've been a Christian for a while now, I've got this. The pastor just repeating the same thing over and over. The Bible is saying the same thing over and over. Every time I read Luke 1, it still says the same thing. Ah, I've got this. Actually, what if we were to pursue God and chase after Him? Building our faith, building into our hearts all the truths about God that we can find in here. You'll find new things every time you read it. So that when the disappointments come, we're not going to be shattered in our faith, but instead we can actually rely on all the stuff that we've built up in our hearts. We can rely on the relationship that we already have with God. We can look for where God is working around us and jump on board with that instead of us trying to say, God, I want you to work over here. And God's going, no, I'm over here. You get on board. I think we need to pursue God in our disappointments. Like when things don't go well, don't let our disappointments rewrite an understanding of God. Uh, For example, I believe God can heal. I I have seen many friends healed in front of me. Like I I saw a guy who had shattered, well not shattered, but he'd 
hurt his leg quite severely. He was a state hockey player and he had a big game coming up. He didn't know what he was going to do. The doctor said he was out for like 12, 15 weeks. Uh, we prayed for him. This is incredible. Like as a teenager who's never seen a healing before, he jumped up and danced around and then the next day went to the doctor and the doctor's like, what did you do with the old x-ray? This is, this is wrong. Uh, it was incredible. But other times I've seen people being prayed for and they don't get healed. And you're like, why could he do it for the hockey player but not for my friend right here? And does that mean I stop believing God can heal or do I start believing God can only heal some things and not other things? No, I still believe God could heal absolutely every single thing because I know the truths of God and I chase after those. And I want to see that God has his plans and his ways and, and I might not understand them yet, but I'm chasing after him. It's not let, I'm not trying to let it rewrite my story of who God is. I think we need to pursue God in our unanswered prayers. Uh, sometimes we pray and ask God for something and it just seems like he's not answering. And we pray more and more and more and again and again and again, and this stuff just doesn't happen. And I wonder in those times, is God actually just asking you to wait? Or is God maybe teaching you something or still morphing you? Maybe he's still uh, forming you and and discipling you and and forming you into something that will actually be able to handle what it is he has for you. Uh, He might not have the answer for you right now, or it might not be ready for you. My wife, Shelby, she's 10 years younger than me. Uh, Yeah, cradle snatcher. Uh, But if I was to get married to her when I was 20... Do the mass. It's a bit awkward. I'm not saying Shelby was the only person ever I could have married, but you know what? She is so damn close to the most perfect thing I ever could have. We, our relationship nowadays is just so amazing. Uh, she, the support she gives me, the, the, the friendship we have, uh, it's just incredible. But if I, if I just settled for someone less, like that, I know there was people that I chased after for a while that just were not anywhere near the level that Shelby is for me in my faith today. I don't know where I'd be. In every disappointment, in every unmet expectation, in every unanswered prayer, in every not yet time, every time we seem to hit a wall in our lives, we have the opportunity to either settle in our faith and let it grow small, or we have the opportunity to grow our faith and to press into God and to let our faith be enlarged. And when you have that opportunity to let yourself either settle or to grow, Satan's going to try and tell you lies at this point. He wants you to settle. He doesn't want you to grow. God wants you to grow. Satan's going to tell you things, oh, this proves that God isn't enough for you. Satan's going to tell you things, this shows you God doesn't care enough about you, or this shows you that God can't actually do that. You need to get past those lies and actually replace those with the truths about God that you find by digging into His Word and discovering who He is. You need to respond to them with the truth about God. You need to know and really hold on to the fact that you are loved and valued and the most incredible creation God has ever made. You are a valued and loved human being. That God was willing to sacrifice himself so that he could deal with the sin problem that surrounded you so that you didn't have to deal with it. That he would actually come and he would make way for you to be uh, growing into the person he wants you to be. There are so many things in this Bible that you can find that tells you exactly what God is to you. You don't need to believe the lies Satan brings. So what can we take away from Zachariah's story here? He had his disappointments in life. He always wanted a child and it never happened. One day it did. God's timing prevailed. But when it did, when he was told it was going to happen, he didn't believe it because he let his faith shrink to the point where it just, in his mind, wasn't possible. Are we letting the same thing happen to us? Are we settling in our faith for an idea of God that is not actually true? We need to chase back after God so we can actually let our faith grow and discover who he is. So whenever you get the opportunity to settle or to grow, I pray that you choose to grow. Let's pray. 
Lord God, I want to thank you so much that you gave us stories in your word, not just of people winning, but of people also messing up. Because God, it helps us to see that you work not with perfect people, but with us normal human beings. God, I want to pray that as we encounter uh, the disappointments that we're going to encounter in our lives, as we come up against unmet expectations, as we come up against uh, all these things that are going to shrink us in our faith, God, that you would help us to remember not to settle for something less than who you are, but to chase after everything that you are, that we would embrace all that you are, that, God, you would continue to reveal yourself to us. God, you are infinite. I'm never going to understand all about you, but, God, help me to grow day by day. I pray this for everyone here as well in your name. Amen.